You're listening to a sermon delivered at First Family Church in Ankeny, Iowa. For more information and sermons, visit our website at firstfamily.church. Well, it has been a, a good, beneficial, and this morning emotional month, hasn't it? Focusing on our partners, and even just last week, three days, focused on multiplication, hearing from all of our church planters. This morning, we have the privilege of hearing from Dr. Kevin Azell, who's the president of the North American Mission Board, the SIN Network. He's going to close out our month-long emphasis. Um, I want to just tell you briefly why we asked Kevin to close out this month. Um, he'll tell you more about his family. He's a father and a grandfather. Uh, he's been a pastor. In fact, he says that's what he'd rather do. Nah, 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 right? <laughs> but I'll tell you why I, I, I'm so glad Kevin accepted the invitation is here because he's one of the most plain spoken individuals about this matter that I know of. I've been to a couple of sending labs, I've had a few interactions with him. He doesn't remember me, but um, and he speaks in ways that I think normal people talk. I, I highly value just normalness. And we talk about that here like we're nothing special. We're just normal people who are trying to get a job done for Christ. And I remember the very first story I ever heard him, heard him told, heard him tell. He was describing why they've made a number of important changes within the SIN network. Um, one of them was to quit funding things that weren't working. And I'm like, well, that's common sense. He said he was in one of, one of the states and they had spent several million dollars over a number of years to plant churches. And so he said, well, let me see the churches. And there were no churches. And he said this. He said, it just makes sense to me that if you have a lot of dough and you want to make pizza, you should go to the end of the assembly line and say, where's the pizza? And he said, there was no pizza, so we quit providing the dough. And we laughed. And I thought, that's the kind of plain spokenness and common sense leadership that, that I look for, that I like. And I think this morning, in this matter of multiplication, you'll hear from a man who's just down to earth and has a compelling, plain spokenness about him, about a very important task in front of all of us. So would you help me welcome Dr. Kevin Azell to our pulpit this morning. Kevin, come share. Thanks. Glad you're here. Thanks. Man, thank you so much, Todd. I'm so grateful. Grateful for the opportunity to be here and just to, to fellowship with the planners last night and get to share with you today. So let's get right to it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 10, uh, actually in chapter 10. As you turn to the end of Matthew 9, I'd like to introduce my family. I wasn't able to bring them with me, but I've got six kids, one wife, six kids, uh, five and almost six grandchildren. But let me just run through my family real fast so you kind of get to know my context and I'll not spend a lot of time here, but just to kind of let you know where I'm coming from. My wife, we, we've been married for over 30 years. Our oldest two daughters are in the middle, uh, Anna and Shelly. Their husbands to the right. You don't need to know their names. Uh, <laughs> I told them you guys are it's until further notified, you know. And, so, uh, and then our oldest son is in the top right, Taylor. He's a senior at uh, California Baptist uh, University. And we live in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm from Kentucky. Uh, and seven and one Kentucky Wildcats, and uh, but Taylor is a senior at California Baptist on the top right. Then God blessed with a whole second phase of of children, and we didn't really have a master plan that worked it that way. It just kind of 
happened. God just walked us one by one. The very first child we adopted was Libby. She's from China. She's in the back right back there. They found Libby in a shoebox outside of a police station when she was born uh, in China. And we got her when she's one, and she's now 17. And she's an angel on this earth. She really is. She's a sweetheart. And then there's Michael Lynn over toward the middle on the left. Uh, she's from Ethiopia. And we got Micah when she's three, and she's now 14. She's a freshman in high school, and uh, we're real proud of her. She's pretty funny. She's a, she's a spitfire. She's kind of bossy. And uh, you guys are awfully young, so you probably don't remember a show called Sanford and Son. But there, uh, if you do, we adopted Ann Esther, all right? I mean, she comes in, and, and when we first moved to Alpharetta, as I said, I pastored in Kentucky, moved to Alpharetta. And she was just a little thing, probably five years old, walked into our neighbor's house and, and put her hand on her hip. And she goes, you people have issues. And uh, they thought it was funny. They said, what do you mean? She said, your house is a mess. You know, you have issues. And uh, so we brought her home, told her, look, sweetheart, we're trying to make some friends and you're not helping. All right, so don't do that. And then J.M., back in the far back left, uh, J.M.'s from the Philippines. And we adopted J.M. when he's 12. And he's now 19, a freshman in college. And so, very thankful. We have six kids from four different countries. And it's real funny. When I'm in the South and, and we show our family with six kids, you know, with six kids, four different countries, you walk into a restaurant, they're like, how did that happen, you know? Or in the South, they'll go, well, bless your heart, you know? I know what that means. That means better you than me. Uh, I say, no, you got to understand, six kids, four different countries, I'm just very competitive. And, uh, no, what I mean is, I mean, when we watch the Olympics, we win, all right? We do. Interesting story about J.M., though, when I brought J.M. home. You go ahead and take the picture down. Um, um, those grandkids are distracting for me, you know. But the, um, when we went to get J.M., they said, now, be very careful with him when you take him back uh, to the hotel. And I said, well, like, what do you mean? And they said, well, he's not used to some of the same luxuries that, that you're used to. And I said, luxuries, you got us confused with somebody. What, what type of luxuries are you talking about? And he said, hot water. And he said, we don't have hot water in the orphanage. There is hot water in Manila, but not in the orphanage. And so he basically taking sink baths. They found J.M. wandering the streets when he was five. And so he'd been in the orphanage until he's 12. And so they said, he's just not used to hot water. Just not a big deal. Just help him understand it when, uh, when, you, when he first gets in the shower or tub. So... We go back to the hotel. You can imagine your first night in a hotel with your brand new family. We had Skyped with him a few times. And the beautiful thing about a 12-year-old, he's the first one we adopted that actually spoke English. Uh, broken English, but uh, English. And it, was, it really was helpful. So, came time to bath time. I said, J.M., time, uh, time to take a bath. Let me show you something, buddy. So, we go in the bathroom. And I remember what they said. So, I turned the water on lukewarm. And then I just uh, I put his hand underneath the water. And then I just gradually, gradually turned the water warmer and warmer and warmer until he felt hot water for the very first time. I'll never forget the, the, the time I looked in those big brown Filipino eyes and he said, that is wonderful. And I said, it is wonderful. You're going to love it. Now I'm going to go in there. You take your, your clothes off and hop in a shower. And he said, shower, what's a, what's a shower? And I wasn't thinking. You know, he didn't have hot water. He didn't have showers. He took sink baths. He didn't know what a shower was. So I had to explain to him a shower. Have you ever explained a shower to someone? 
It's not that easy. You know, like, it's like, uh, it's going to be like uh, water from heaven. All right, you're going to love it. There's so many things I just didn't think of, you know, when we first got in because of the translation. And uh, water wasn't the only thing. It was like the first time we went out to eat. First time we went out to eat, he didn't know. He'd never been out to eat. He'd never been to a restaurant. So I said, bring him some chicken fingers. (laughs) He's like, no, 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 not chicken fingers. I not eat chicken fingers. And I said, no, son, they're not chicken fingers. That's just what they call them. He said, well, why do they call them that? It's like, you know, I don't know. Just dip them in barbecue sauce. It'll be okay, all right? You can only imagine the first time we had buffalo wings, all right? Incredibly challenging. It was just always, it's always an explanation. But I'll never forget him going in, taking that shower, and 45 minutes later, comes out all shriveled up but loving life. He loved that water. And you know what? I couldn't help but think. He was 12 at the time. And I couldn't help but think, man, being 12, man, how many 12-year-olds thought that much of hot water? I began to think of how how spoiled we are. I mean, we just don't think twice about things like that. Uh, we're just spoiled, spoiled rotten, honestly. And uh, sir, tell me, who's your first name? Edgar. All right, Edgar, look, I picked you because you're like one of the cleanest guys in this section, all right? Uh, Edgar, now be straight with me, all right? You look like an honest guy. Have you taken a shower in the last three days? Just straight up, Edgar, don't be a comedian. Just tell me the truth. Yeah, no, just, just answer me straight up. Shoot, you have? All right, I was hoping that, and so was everybody else. All right, you have. All right, Edgar, uh, tell me, now be honest, all right? Just straight up, on, all I need is an honest answer here. When you took this shower, you felt the hot water, did you go... Yes, hot water. Did you do that? Not quite. Not quite. Okay, that's exactly what I thought. See, folks, Ecker, he's what's wrong with America. All right? <laughs> you see, he nor any of us did that. We just don't think twice about it. It's like you're sitting on padded pews. You don't think twice about it. You're in an environmentally controlled uh, you know, room here. You don't think twice about it. You don't think about twice about what you're going to have for lunch. You know you're going to have it. It's just about what you're going to have. And that's so often how we get. I'm so thankful um, that, that God has provided us what he's provided. But we need to remember that not everybody has it like you are. What a great video of your missionary couple. And seeing some of the challenges they go through. Because sometimes we very quickly forget uh, we don't have the conveniences. And even when it comes to churches. He, uh, Pastor Todd mentioned I'm, I'm with Send Network, the North American Mission Board. We're about planning churches. Did you know you're part of a family of churches, a network of churches, that is about planning 1,200 churches a year? That's 100 a month. That means every Sunday you come to worship, about 20 to 25 churches are being launched somewhere in New Mexico to New York to Florida uh, to Portland. All over North America, not just here in Iowa, but all over North America, you're part of a family of churches that are planting churches absolutely everywhere. And sometimes people say, well, is there really a need for churches? And let me give you an example of why there is. Did you know there is one a church in Mississippi, one church in Mississippi for every 1,394 people? Now, missiologists say you need one church for at least every 2,000 people. 
So in Mississippi, it's the most church state in all of North America. You say, well, what's it like in Iowa? If you need one for every 2,000, what's it like in Iowa? In Iowa, it's one for every 27,000. So there's actually a need for many more churches. The fact is the population has grown at such a rapid pace, and the amount of churches has not kept up with that same growth. And so there's a huge gap there, and that's why you see such a change uh, in North America itself. But not only in North, and not only in Iowa, but let's just say in New York, there's one for every fifty-one thousand in New York. In New Jersey, one for every fifty-eight thousand. Then you go to places like Canada, there's one for every ninety-four thousand people. Do you know in Canada you can drive for three hours? Yesterday I flew into Kansas City and drove uh, to Des Moines because of some flight issues. Beautiful drive, but it took me about three hours. Did you know you can go to Canada? And you drive for three hours and you not drive by another evangelical church. And so it's so sad, but there's such a desperate need. Now, if the harvest is, is so plentiful, such a great need, then why aren't we really meeting it? Well, I want you to see, we see that in Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 35 through, we're going to say verse 10. We know that Jesus is our Savior. It's all about Him. The reason we come today is to worship him all right he's our savior but not only is our savior he was the the greatest leader of all times we can learn a lot from him by his example just modeling his life as a believer but also as a leader now the problem we have in churches today is is not lost people it's saved people found people if we you would say people who know Christ who just are not willing to connect with people who do not have a relationship with Christ. So I, I want you to see something in Matthew 9.35. We'll read it like this. It says, and Jesus went. Jesus did what? Went. Right, let's do it again. Like a little bit of ump in it. You ready? All right. Iowa State came back. They won yesterday. I know you got to be excited. Here we go. Jesus went. There you go. Jesus went throughout all the cities villages. He didn't have to do that. He was secure in heaven, but left heaven, came to this earth, was born in a manger. You know the story. But now in his ministry, he went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to do what? Send out laborers into the harvest. I just want to thank you for being a sending church. You obviously are sending your own out exactly what Jesus said that to pray that the Lord of the harvest would do. Now, let's just reverse a little bit and walk our way through that. I want you to see, and I had you say he went, because I wanted to remind you that Jesus was constantly going. He went. You see that all through Scripture. Now, why did he go through the towns and the villages? We see it in the very second part of that verse, because when he did, when he looked on the people, it said that he had compassion for them. You see this all through the New Testament. 
You see the time uh, even when Jesus came and was there before Lazarus, and he, in John 11, when he says, he wept. The very first verse most of us put to memory. Jesus wept. There were many times he looked over Jerusalem and the towns, and he, he had compassion, was moved. All those words, wept, wept with compassion, means felt in his gut. It wasn't just a passing fancy. It wasn't just a passing emotion. He felt it in his gut, that compassion. And actually, the definition of that compassion is to so identify with the situation of others that one is prepared to act for their good. Moved with compassion. Not only did he feel it in his gut, but felt it in his gut enough to actually do something. What is here, this compassion, this compassion is more, more than a feeling. I almost feel like Boston needs to come in at this point. More than a feeling. But it was more than a feeling. Feeling, this is feeling that does something. I want you to see, as we look in the New Testament, we see Jesus went. He went through the villages and the cities, and then we see that Jesus wept all through the New Testament. He went, and he wept, he wept, and he went. Why did he go? Because he was moved with compassion so much to actually do something. How often in our lives are we moved with compassion? We see a situation, we hear about someone's plight or a difficulty, and we say, oh, bless their heart, I need to do something. How many, how many notes did you intend to send? How many calls did you intend to send? You're moved with compassion, but you didn't ultimately do anything about it. Every time I go to a city and you see the throngs of people, every time I watch a football game, and today you go home if you watch any pro games at all, we have an emphasis, a missionary in every one of those cities. Last night, Boston beat the Dodgers in the World Series. We have a, a missionary in Boston. We have a missionary in L.A. But as I look at that crowd of people, every time you look at a ball game, I want you to think of just how Jesus, when he looked at them, he didn't look at them as crazy fans, but those are people who need him, and if they die, will go to an everlasting Hell, he understood that as he looked at people. And my plea for you today, as we go back to chapter 9, it says, He went through the villages. He had compassion for them. And then what did he say? He's like, man, they're, they're helpless and harassed. They're, they're, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And what he's saying is, have you ever been around sheep? My papa owned a farm and, and had cattle and all kinds of animals, a lot of acreage there in Kentucky. I say a lot, about 30 acres, nothing to you guys. But had a good bit of, uh, uh, and, and man, sheep, if you know anything about sheep at all, they're stupid. <laughs> all right? They really are. Now, don't point, but 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 you know. <laughs> They're just not real smart animals. They, 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 they need someone to tell them. I, I was not far from where I was. I was driving by. I saw some sheep the other day, and, after, and, and they were moving. It was weird. They were moving on their own. You normally don't see that. But then all of a sudden, I saw a dog behind them and realized that this dog 
was directing these sheep. Why? Because they're too dumb to do it themselves. They just will eat off mud if you just let them sit there. Now, Jesus had compassion. as like sheep without a shepherd. Well, anyone giving them direction, helpless, not knowing exactly what to do, going to and fro, he had compassion on them. Then what did he say? Not only, look, he left heaven to come here because the sheep were helpless. But then he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You've got to understand, he's not saying this from the perspective of, you know, in my calculation... In my estimation, I bet there's a lot more people that would come to faith if we just had more people to go get them. No, it's not a guess here. This is the sovereign God of the universe saying, look, I'm telling you folks, there are people more interested in hearing the gospel than you are in sharing it. The harvest is plentiful it's the workers that's the problem. It's not the harvest. Lost people act like lost people. It's not the lost people's fault. It's the found people. The found people have forgotten what it was like to be a lost people. Lost and without a shepherd. We get comfortable being found that we're not interested in the lost. But again, it's not like God is in heaven wringing his hands and like, oh my word. You people, listen, understand, I think, I really do think if you'd try harder, we'd have more results. He's not wringing his hand. This is the sovereign God of the universe. He knows it for a fact. There's a big difference from hoping and guessing and knowing for a fact. I know I'm, I've mentioned a couple times I'm a Kentucky fan. I'm an obnoxious Kentucky fan, all right? But you know, up front, I didn't get to see the, the game yesterday. We won last night by the last play of the game. I can't wait. I, I, I tape every game. Now, I'm a big basketball fan, you can imagine. I tape every game. And I'm kind of a weird guy when it comes to watching sports. My team. I don't watch it live. I tape it. Now, most of you, when you do that, you say, hey, don't tell me the score. I want to watch it. And see, that's the wrong way to do it. What I want to do is I want to tape it. Tell me the score. Did we win? Okay. I'm going to watch it. That way, you're never disappointed. <laughs> now, you think, the dude's psycho. I'm telling you, try it. It's not bad. You see, because uh, I'm, I'm going to go home. I asked my wife last night. You, you know, nobody messed up the recording. You've got it. She goes, no, we've got it. It's not a problem. You know what I'm going to do tonight when I get home? I'm going to turn it on. And you know what? Halftime. We're going to be down 14 to 3. Ooh. Am I nervous? No. I'm headed to the fridge to get a sandwich and something to drink. Comes to fourth quarter and we're losing 14 to 9. Gets down to one minute to go. We got the ball on the 20. Am I nervous? No, I'm not nervous. Hey, Last play of the game, the guy drops the ball. Am I nervous? No, because I know they call a penalty, and we get another play, and then we're going to score a touchdown. I know we win in the end. 
trying to help you see, as God looks at you, God looks at, at what we're doing here, and as your church, being a sending church, he's saying to you with the same confidence, more confidence, the harvest is plentiful, and the workers are few. Now, what's what he says? Pray to the Lord of hope, of the harvest that he will send out workers. Then, the very next thing we see in chapter 10, verse 1, notice what he does. <laughs> he says, pray the Lord of sin. He's, he's saying this to who? The disciples. And so then he says, pray the Lord will send out. And then he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Went through Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas, Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then Jesus did what? Sent out. These twelve, Jesus did what? Sent out. That's why we call it the SEND network, because it's all about being a multiplication, all about multiplying, sending out. I believe in the end, God's going to judge us more so by our sending capacity than he is our seeding capacity as churches. It's not how many you have here. It's actually how many have gone through here and you sent out. He sent them out. I love this. You said, well, yeah, but they're the, they're the disciples for kind of like, you're talking about Peter and James. And J-. No, 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 no. Back, 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 back. That's who you know them as now. That's not who they started out as. This is a ragtag group, a bunch of fishermen. You throw in a tax collector. There's a politician in there. These guys, are, it's a rough He's molding them together. They were constantly making mistakes and, and constantly saying, hey, who do you think's the best, you, me, who should be in charge? And they were constantly making ridiculous decisions. But Jesus molded them as a leader. He invested in them and helped them become disciples who made 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 disciples who, made disciples who led to you here today with the hope that you would make disciples that would make disciples that would make disciples. That's why Paul left the church at Antioch and went out and planted a church. Antioch invested. They sent out their best. Paul, Barnabas, went out and planted a church and planted a church and planted a church. What's interesting, if you go back and trace it, they planted a church, they planted a church, they planted a church. They planted a church, 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 they planted a church that ultimately planted this church. And you just hope it doesn't end here. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Why did Jesus go? Why did he go? It's because he was moved with compassion. I really believe a big part of the reason so often is we don't go is we're not moved with compassion. Look. People are mean. This world's full of uh, uh, ugly things. What a horrendous thing. We have a mission. We have a missionary in Pittsburgh. And I couldn't help but think as I read the word synagogue just a moment ago of what went, what took place yesterday in Pittsburgh. And, and um, I mean, there's evil in 
this world. We all know that. How do you respond to it? How do you respond when people treat you in ways that they should not? Inside and outside the church, how do you respond to that? You know, the Lord convicted me about a month or two ago, and I've been reading a passage almost every day in Romans 12. I want to read it to you, and this is kind of, this is out the New Living Translation, okay? I'm plain spoken, and also, that's a, that's a real nice way to introduce a guy when he says he's a C student, okay? <laughs> so, I, I, I do things the simple way, instead of, and so let me just read out the New Living Translation. It's a translation, but it's just for us beginners, and here's, here's how, here's how it, uh, it, it goes. You ready? Romans 12, verse 1. I'm sorry, uh, uh, verse 9. It says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. <clears throat> Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Boy, that's a hard one. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Just a constant reminder to me. <coughs> Excuse me. I had to ask myself, do you genuinely love people? It's easy to say that you love people. And sometimes you say you love people, even those that you live in the home with, and you just want to throw them, throw them a gift here or there to relieve a little bit of guilt. If you, know, if you haven't felt like you loved them as much, just give them something to help make up for it. That's not what it's talking about here. Do you genuinely have a compassion for people, just as Jesus did back in Matthew 9, where you're so moved with compassion to the point that you actually will actually do something about it? One of my favorite stories is in Mark chapter 2. Don't, you don't have to turn there. I don't have time, but I'm going to just tell it to you real fast. My favorite story is in Mark chapter 2. And you remember, it says that Jesus was in the house, and he was preaching to them, and the place was jam-packed. Overflow was overflowing. And then there came four men carrying a paralytic. You remember the story? And these four men carry a paralytic. They get to the house, and the, the place is packed. And so it says that they put him on the roof. They put him on the roof. They dig a hole in the roof. They lower the guy to Jesus. Jesus heals him. And then Jesus sends him home. There's some people there that get ticked. Jesus deals with them like, hey, what's your deal? And he sends them on their way. Now, I love that story for a couple of reasons. And if you don't mind, just real quickly, I'd like to re reverse it a bit with Matthew 9 
and 10. Harvest is plentiful, but workers are few. Jesus had compassion. He wept, but because he wept, he went. I want us to just compare what happens in Mark 2. You look at that story, and I love the gospel of Mark. It's my favorite gospel. I love them all. But gospel of Mark's my, my favorite because um, Mark, I am convinced, has an attention disorder. Okay? And I do too. If you read the gospel of Mark, you go for about six or seven verses or maybe ten, and then boom, he switches the subject. And also, Mark, he doesn't do details. Mark, Mark if you took a rock and threw it on a, on a lake, that's kind of how Mark writes. He just skips along and just does the major points. Now, I, I like that. He doesn't get down in the weeds. My wife gets so frustrated with me because I'm the same way. I, I just don't do details often. She'll say, hey, did so-and-so have a baby? And I said, yeah, they had a baby. She's a boy or girl. And it's like, uh, it is a baby. <laughs> don't know how much it weighs. Don't know the name. It was a baby. All right? <laughs> just the main points, not the details. Now, keep that in mind as you read through anything in, in the Gospel of Mark. That's how Mark tell, tells a story. So on this story, he says, hey, here comes some guys, some dudes bringing a paralytic. And the whole point is Jesus says, look, I have the authority on earth to forgive sins. I can heal this guy. That's no big deal. But I have all authority on earth to do anything I want to do. But I want you to see some things that often are missed in this story. There's four guys in this story that I love these guys. What are their names? Their names aren't even mentioned. It just says, Mark says, the paralytic's being brought by four men. Now, what he doesn't say, they just enter the story right when they get to the church. But something had to happen before then. My point is, they're having church, the place is packed, and Jesus is preaching the word to them. But meanwhile, on the other side of town, at least one guy, at least one guy had an idea. He says, you know, I hear Jesus is in town. And I've heard what Jesus has done in other cities and towns and how he's healed people and changed their lives. And, and, and you know, i got a feeling if we were to take our friend, you know, a paralytic, I'm sure he called him by name. Mark doesn't because Mark doesn't do details. But, but I'm sure he called him by name and said, hey, you know our friend? Let's go get our friend and take him to where Jesus is and Jesus can heal him. Now, what I want you to see is, that is compassion with action. Didn't just say, you know, one of these Sundays, one of these times we need to go by there and pick him up. You know, we should take them a minute. Oh, you know, we should. It wasn't we should. It's like, hey, let's do. So he said, hey, I need some help. Are you in? You in? You in? We know we got at least four. So we're going to meet at a certain time, a certain place, and then we'll go by and pick him up. You in? All right, here, we're all in. So we go get him. They pick him up, and they carry him there. Now, here's the part I think is hilarious. If you read Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12, really, if you read it and look at it, it is, it's really funny the way Mark writes. They get there, and the place is packed, and Mark says they get there, the place is packed, so they put him up on the roof, they dig a hole in the roof, and they lower him to Jesus. Mark acts like this happens every Sunday. You know, it's like song, song, special music, dig hole in roof, sermon. I mean, it just didn't happen every week. So, Mark, slow down a bit, and what do you think happened? I'm not adding to Scripture, but something had to happen. So they get there, the place is packed, and he says they put him on a roof. Okay, hold up. 
I'm certain at that point they had a little huddle. The four of them says, my word, look, the place is jam-packed in there. Man, we, we, we weren't expecting this, boys. What do you think we should do? And I'm sure the four of them begin to talk. You know what? Uh, my degree is in psychology, and psychologists say that one out of every four people tend to be negative. That's true. Uh, you know what I mean. Like, it tends to be kind of like an Eeyore. Like, it's a, it's a gloomy day. You know, they just kind of, and, and I'm sure that one of these four was a little bit like that. Like, I knew this wasn't a good idea. You know, we should have come to the second service. Or, you know, I mean, you can imagine some of the negativity vibe that you're getting here. So as they discussed, all we know, we don't know, but had to be, had to be at least one person, at least one of those four had to say something like this. Hey, I don't know about that, boys, but hey, I got an idea. Hey, you're going to think I'm crazy, but here's what we're going to do. What we're going to do is we're going to take him and we're going to put him on the roof. I can't help but think at that moment, the paralytic propped himself up and was like, dude, what? No, they go, no now, Seto, it's going to be okay. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to take you, put you on the roof, and then we're going to kind of guess where we think Jesus is. <laughs> and then we're going to dig a hole, a big hole, and then we're going to lo lower you down to where Jesus is. Boom, he's going to heal you. What do y'all think? I'm sure one of the guys probably said, but we've never done it that way here before. I Maybe one guy said, it's not in the bulletin. You know what I mean? And so that's exactly what they did. Can you imagine next Sunday as Pastor Todd, is, as he's preaching midway through his sermon, and all of a sudden, I don't care how silver-tongued he is, midway through, can you imagine some dust falling and some more dust falling? And all of a sudden, you see a hand come through the roof, another hand, and then a hole, and then a big hole, and all of a sudden, four heads all looking down. I don't care how focused you are, I'm watching that, all right? And then all of a sudden, you hear one say, all right, Cletus, lower him down, you know, and Lower him down. I mean, can you imagine? That's exactly what took place. And look, if you go back and read Mark chapter 2, Mark says something really interesting about what Jesus did. He said, Jesus, seeing their faith, decided to heal him. Jesus seeing the faith of those four guys decided to do something incredible in the life of this. You see, Jesus had compassion on, on, on the man, but what really moved him is the heart and the compassion of the four. Jesus healed him and said, hey, don't mind these other, there's some, the religious people there were like, who is this guy, I have the right to do this, and Jesus set them straight, saying, I have the authority to do anything I want to do, and he told the guy, hey, you go on home, and then that's the end of the story, it's it, that's it, my point is, I love those guys, 
you know what? We don't know their names, but we know their heart. You know what their heart is? Whatever it takes. They're willing to do whatever it takes. They had compassion to go out of their way and to go and get their friend. Because they, they knew their friend would never, ever know Jesus unless they took him there. They had compassion to go. They did whatever it took. They got there, and they weren't willing to just be stopped by a minor roadblock. The fact they couldn't get a seat. No, they did whatever. Man, I love these guys. If you're a football coach, you want these guys on your team. If you own a business, you want these guys working for you. They were going to do whatever it takes. I just want to plead with you. As you focused on missions, it's not talking about somebody in another country. It's not talking about a planet that just goes to another city. It's talking about you or where, where you are. God has you planted where you are to be on mission for him. Student in your school, in your neighborhood, mom, dad, in your friend group, do you connect with people? Not just because you're supposed because you look at people and have you genuinely love them as Jesus looked and was moved with compassion. I was in Cuba the other day. It was an interesting thing in Cuba. You don't hear a lot about Cuba because uh, obviously the communist rule there, but you may not realize this because you're you're part of a network of churches, I said are planting churches, but also you own the majority of the Baptist churches in Cuba. Did you know that? You didn't know that? You do. You own them. Um, because I know that because the deeds to those churches are in the vault uh, where I work at the North American Mission Board. Now, they're there because a lady uh, named Annie Armstrong, you won't know her, but she went around and was purchasing properties in Cuba years and years and years ago and planting churches there. The largest church in Cuba today is called Calvary Baptist. It's right next door, right in Havana, right next door to the government, the capital. And I know I've been there. It's an old theater. And it has two different tiers. And they have the, the National Baptist Convention. There were all these pastors come uh, each year and celebrate what God's doing. But it's amazing that there is a church planning movement happening in Cuba. You're like, are you, how, how could that possibly be? Let me tell you how one pastor in Cuba told me with tears in his eyes. He says it's incredible, Castro, when he was living. He said Castro came in and said, no more churches. No more churches. It's the best Castro I can do. <laughs> no more churches. And what he meant was you can't build any more churches. You have what you have, but you can't build any more churches. And what are we to do? And he said, well, you can meet in your homes. You can study your Bible and do that stuff in the homes. And what his point was, he wanted to separate, move, spread Christians out so that they would just evaporate. And so they did that. They began to move in the home. The churches were packed, and so they started meeting in their homes. It really frustrated him, so he came out with an edict. And he says, all right, no more. No more than 50. They were do what? And he goes, no more than 50. When you get to 50 in one home, government regulation. You have to go to another home. Start another one. Like, seriously? Seriously. 50. Well, you can imagine what happened. They began to obviously plant little churches all over the place. 
that infuriated him. He come back and had another edict and says, all right, no more than 25. No more than 25. When you get to 25, you have to go to another house. He was trying to also keep spreading these people out, and that'll, that'll do them in. The exact opposite happened. They started multiplying like rabbits. I mean, they were everywhere. And now today there is a church planting movement happening in Cuba. And think about it. And God used a communist leader to do it. What some meant for evil, God flipped it and turned it for good. I've heard that somewhere else before. Man, to hear the hearts, and I asked this pastor, how can I tell people in America to pray for you? Pray for your freedom? He says, oh no. I would much rather not have my freedom and see God move like this than to have my freedom and this not happen. I mean, that's genuine compassion for people, and that's something that only Jesus can, can do for us. When he saves us, or what he did on the cross, completely changes our hearts. We don't think of ourselves, but we think of him. It is, is all about him. That's why Paul said, I consider my life worth nothing to me, but that I complete the task, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. I consider my life worth nothing to me. It's all about him. It's an old evangelist, Gypsy Smith, was once asked, how do you start revival? I'm like, you start revival, well, it's pretty simple. Is it simple? Oh, yeah, it's real simple. He said, if you really want a true revival, then uh, you go into a room all by yourself. All by yourself? All by yourself. You go into a room all by yourself, and you get a piece of chalk. Room all by yourself and a piece of chalk. That's right. Then you take the piece of chalk, and you draw a circle on the floor. And then, if you really want revival, you get down on your knees in that circle and pray that God would start a revival in that circle. His point was, it really starts with you. This has been an emphasis, a missions emphasis time where we focused on going to other countries and other cities and being a multiplying uh, church as we multiply. This morning, I want you to think about your circle and you. When you look at people, do you have compassion? If not, are you really certain you know Jesus in the way that Scripture defines? Because the fruit of knowing Him means that you do love. He says, if you don't love people, you really don't love me. It's all about him. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.